Hello, and welcome to Race to Finish, the podcast where we talk about the main range of Big Finish. I'm Carrick. And I'm David. Today we are discussing the Marian Conspiracy, written by the goddess Jacqueline of Rayner, uh, <laughs> directed by Gary Russell, with music and sound design by Alastair Locke. I'm just going to say this up front before we do the rest of the episode, that if you haven't listened to this, fix that. Oh, yes. Because I'm pretty, I mean, we haven't talked too much about it, but I'm pretty sure the rest of this episode is just going to be us gushing about it, so... <laughs> Just go listen to it. <laughs> I do have one or two points that I don't like, but they're pretty minor niggles, so... Same, yeah. same. But yeah, so this is the very first pure historical that Big Finish has did, for the main range at least. Yeah, um, I was actually going to talk about that. Um, it is the first, it's the first pure historical for Doctor Who they did. It's probably the second pure historical they did if you include Just War, which was also adapted by Jacqueline Rayner. Uh, sorry, I, I know I went on about this on the Sirens of Time so much you had to edit a whole bit out, but um, I will never <laughs> stop at a chance to plug Just War. Or Jacqueline Rayner, for that matter. Fair, I mean, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is her first um, piece of proper Doctor Who, and also I think her first original thing for Big Finish, but it is by no means her first rodeo. She... Uh, adapted all but one of the first season of Bernie Summerfield. So in that sense, she's actually the first ever writer that Big Finish ever employed. And she's also one of the best, so there is that. Other little casting notes. This has Nicholas Pegg and Barnaby Edwards both in the cast. Uh, the the latter, Barnaby Edwards, is sporting a terrible French accent, which will be the first of many that you will encounter should you listen to Big Finish and regularly like we do. <laughs> um, they're actually, they're best known in the new series for being Dalek operators. Like, along with Nicholas Briggs as the voice of the Daleks, they form this interesting little trilogy, um, trio. Also in the cast is Jez Fielder, playing a character called William Leaf. He's going to be going on to be a regular in the Sarah Jane audios, the ones that they did with Liz Sladen before she got her own spin-off on TV. And of course, there is one very big cast note that I am not talking about here. I'm going to leave that one to David. The most notable thing about this story is that it introduces Besser... Oh, doctor, excuse me, Doctor Evelyn Smythe, who is a companion. I think she's to a doctor six- and a professor. Well, yes, but you know, PhD is different than just being a, a plain old professor. I can imagine her being the type to insist on being called Doctor as well. So, <laughs> I think it's like she has a PhD, but she also teaches as a professor. So, yes. Why are we talking about this? We should just be talking about the fact that she's amazing. <laughs> yes, she's amazing. Uh, she's a big reason as to why the sixth doctor got kind of redeemed on audio oh yeah she is to my memory your favorite companion definitely my favorite companion to come out of big finish possibly my favorite companion ever yes okay that sounds about right i seem to remember you talking about that with um someone else on a different podcast at some point anyways so all that it's also the very first story where the sixth doctor is kind they finally start to tone him down a bit i have thoughts on what they do with them which are all good but we'll get into them later <laughs> oh yeah 100 percent. like i was actually going going to say i feel like this more so than whispers of terror is where the sixth doctor actually begins at big finish like whispers of terror is i do really like it but it is a bit of an outlier with how he was characterized later so 
Like, consider this to be, like, the actual jumping on point for the Sixth Doctor if you really did not like how he was portrayed on TV. Yes, and they make a lot of deliberate choices, both in how he's written and the situations he's put into, I would say. Yeah, there's some areas that actually remind me more of the new series than anything else, but uh, we'll talk about that later. So, um, uh, consider this, that's the introductions out of the way, consider this the spoiler-free section. Yes, uh... I mean, I don't know what what else to say. It's brilliant. I mean... (laughs) Well, we should begin at the beginning, maybe. Like, if the entire first part is basically just the Doctor and Evelyn getting to know each other. Yes. I messaged you about this uh, while I was listening. I was like, I just realized that the first 15 minutes of the first episode, the first 16, it's just Six and Evelyn talking for 16 minutes, and it's brilliant. And you don't even realize that. It's because it's so good. Yeah. As it, one thing that makes Evelyn amazing is that uh, she is an academic, and she has been in this profession for a very long time. Well, and, okay, I say very long. She's only, like, in her 50s, and she's 55 in this. So, okay, so she's not actually that old, but um, point is, she live, She works in a career where, like, various eccentrics of all shapes and sizes are very common. So when the Doctor bursts in with a flashing whirring device in the middle of her lecture theatre saying he can't switch it off because the whole of human history might be at stake, she's just like, oh, another one. <laughs> like, she just, she does not take him as seriously as, she, as he would like because she has seen people like this and she is not impressed. <laughs> Yes, I, I don't think this counts as a spoiler, but like within like minutes of meeting him, she briefly thinks that he's just been hired by the other faculty to convince her that she's going crazy, so she'll retire. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually sets up kind of a dark plot line in later audios, but let's not talk about that yeah, now. Yes, so it's not spoilers. Um, I'm, I'm going to go on a little tangent about the new series. I do love the new series, and I understand why it's as fast-paced as it is, but I do think that a downside of that is that we don't, get shit like we do here in the first episode of the Marian conspiracy where we can just let these two talk and let them just kind of develop a dynamic and let them and let us learn about like Evelyn's history just very organically there's not like a lot of running around it's just the first 15 minutes are set in a lecture theater and then in Evelyn's home and then a little bit in the TARDIS and it's great yeah Mm. It's like you get a, you do get a very strong sense of what Evelyn is like. She takes her career as an academic very seriously to the point where she left her husband over it, and she also has very strong views on the matter. There is this amazing scene before they've even gone back in time when she's talking about how much she likes Queen Elizabeth the First, that is, and how utterly terrible Queen Mary was, and the doctor's just trying to get a word in edgeways, but she but. She, he just can't. It's 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 amazing because this is the sixth Doctor we're talking about. This dude never shuts up, and Evelyn is just like having a this history nerd moment, and he's just going, uh, he's just trying to talk, but he just can't. It's it's brilliant. Yes, and there's this one bit where like he tries to like give his own opinion, where he's like, "Well, I'm not sure if that's fair," and she just interrupts and she's like, "I have been, I have studied this period for the past twenty years or more than that. I know what I'm talking about. You can't just." say that it ends up being that he has to get her to stop talking which i could not imagine the sixth doctor doing before this point so yeah (laughs) it's it's brilliant there is an there is an element of bickering to it in that sense it's not completely unlike his dynamic with perry but there's none of the toxic subtext that they're 
was with his relationship with Perry. So their little bickering moments actually end up being pretty charming as a result of that. Yes, and I mean, it probably also just helps that we have actors who are close to the same age at this point. Colin Baker has great chemistry with Nicola Bryant, but I do think that it does change things a bit when you have actors closer to the same age, if that makes sense. And I think that I've heard people describe them as kind of seeming like an old married couple before, and that just kind of develops quite naturally, I think. Yeah, that is true. Like, I mean, this is a very different relationship, but it's kind of like the difference between like the River Song's relationship with the 11th Doctor versus with 12. Like, the fact that Peter Capaldi and Alex Kingston are way closer in age, there is, like, I do get, like, a warmer sense from the two of them together. Yeah, but then it's like, with the whole of their bickering, it's like, jog with my knees. Like, funny, it's normally ankles that are the problem. It's not above a fan service joke there. It's like, it's just like the way Evelyn just calls Mary a weak-willed male-dependent Rome apologist. It's, I don't know about weak-willed, but uh, she probably wasn't that. But uh, Rome apologist, oh yes, 100%. I mean, even her own ancestors, like, she, she's quite hard on them oh, in the last careful, scene. careful, careful, careful. Okay, spoilers. Her ancestors become a plot point. We'll explain why well, later. The, the, <laughs> Well, they already are a plot point. This is like a... I think we can have this in the non-spoiler section. Basically, there's this whole nexus point thing. The reason the Doctor finds Evelyn is apparently history's gone wrong. And it has some, she was talking about like an ancestor of hers, John Whiteside Smith, who was like this very notable figure in Queen Elizabeth's court. Uh, he didn't actually exist, by the way, in the real world. And, um, the Doctor's like, who is this guy? I've never heard of him. And... So like, you must be wrong. And she's like, no, he's an ancestor of mine. I have this very well documented. Then she like brings out all the documentation and the words are literally vanishing from the page. I was like, oh, right. History's being rewritten and Evelyn might cease to exist. Uh, that's why they're getting involved in this conflict. So basically they have to go back in time and find out what the hell's going on. Yes. As an aside, this isn't really a spoiler. I do find it interesting. Well, maybe it's a spoiler. I, I don't know what counts as a spoiler and what doesn't. I do think it's interesting how... The actual events that take place, I mean, they're not, I don't think they're historical, but they're also, in like the broader scope of history, not that important, which I kind of liked. It, it's not like, oh, the Doctor is showing up at the time of some rebellion or something. It's just a period of history where some intrigue happened. Oh, yeah. And um, I was actually interested in talking about that. It's... um. Sorry, I was I was kind of thinking about the fires of Vulcan, which um, is is which is the next pure historical we're going to be covering. It's now um, I am probably going to talk more about that when we get to that. But the thing about the Marian conspiracy is that it's um, it feels very low key in some ways because unlike a lot of pure historicals, it doesn't really go for the grim tragedy of history angle. Like, oh no, we're all going to be killed by a volcano. There's nothing we can do about it. And I don't mean, like, there isn't a sense of danger. Like, there is the first cliffhanger. Evelyn finds herself toasting Queen Elizabeth when Mary is still on the throne. It's like, oh shit, <laughs> you might be about to get stabbed. But in the end, this is a lot more character-driven than it is driven by threat. And as a result, it's very easy to listen to. I saw a Twitter mutual say that this was, like, a comfort story for them, and... I thought that was interesting because this is a story which is basically like about the build up to 
theological mass murder, a actually really dark period of English history. And yet, it doesn't feel difficult to listen to in that way. Because like when I first listened to this, I wasn't really a big fan of pure historicals, and I didn't even really know that this was going to be a pure historical. But, and I think it's kind of what turned me around on the genre, because my issue with them had often been that they were kind of long and dreary and often a bit unpleasant, but this is like, oh right, they can actually be easy and like, like thoughtful too. It is very interesting because like we talked a lot about the Doctor's relationship with Evelyn, but this is really just the start of it. Like it's going to go to a lot of other places. I think the character who actually influences the Doctor the most in the story is Queen Mary. Oh yeah, for sure. There's a good chunk of the audio where he and Evelyn are separated and he's just speaking to the queen and it's very different, but very interesting too. Um, we get a, we get an interesting depiction of what Queen Mary was like, at least according to this yeah. uh, piece. I think we might as well move into spoilery like, stuff now uh, because yeah. I feel like I'm holding myself back from the stuff I want to talk about. Like on the subject of this story being easy to listen to something else it does very well. Is it, this was always a big problem in the classic series because they'd have like serialized formats and they'd need to like pad out the runtime of each episode. Uh, this cuts through all of that. Like it's just straight with the meaty character interactions or the fun ones, like the Doctor and Evelyn. Then it's like or the Doctor and Mary. Although I do think it kind of takes it to a bit of a contrived point, like. The Doctor basically strolls in off the street into the royal palace, and he doesn't even know who the Queen is, but he manages to find himself attending on her basically at once. It's like, okay, this was before psychic paper was a thing, so uh, how did that happen? And at exactly the same time, Evelyn just so happens to go to the exact same pub where a bunch of other characters who are involved in this conspiracy happen to be hiding out. I can forgive it a little bit. I mean, it's Doctor Who. I can forgive some narrative contrivance. I did notice while listening last episode just how it appeared that Mary's court was just her, one of her ladies-in-waiting, and, like, a French guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Bishop of Axe, uh, Gaspard Denouy, something like that. Um, I actually looked him up. He he is a was a real person. He was like a, a very minor historical figure, and he did become the Fr the French ambassador at one point. But as from what I can tell, uh, there's nothing about him ever being involved in a conspiracy to assassinate Queen Mary. Yeah, well, fair enough. I mean, cool. I mean, cool that he's real. I wouldn't have assumed that. I mean, the accent's a bit cartoonish, but I can kind of forgive it. It's yeah, it's French. I yeah. I think a lot of people, myself included, are a bit more forgiving when it comes to French accents. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, another thing I really like about this, when we talk, about, I mentioned like Evelyn stumbles across the um, the conspiracy. It is funny, funny when she says like burning people at the stake for having slightly different religious views than you. That's terrible. But then they're all like, no, no, actually, no, we're fine with that. We just don't like it happening to Protestants because we're Protestants. <laughs> and it is funny how. There's a lot of moments like that. It's like a guy going, execution's always a good day out. You can take the kids along. And Evelyn knows the period, but even so, the culture shock from that does affect her. Like, 
not hugely like she manages to like keep it under wraps but it's obvious to the audience that she's going oh shit yeah that's what people like this were like there's also a bit of that with the doctor and um queen mary's lady in waiting sarah when she starts suddenly acting super racist about all the spanish people who come along with mary's husband and the doc is like the doctor and evelyn just like we can't really do much about this so they just kind of have to like if not go along with it just not really comment for sure uh there's there's a lot of talk about like well faith and but more less faith and more specifically being like a fanatic and also just doing horrible things because you believe that you're doing it for good reasons it's kind of touched on it's not a deep theme yeah and that's there it's discussed well, it is a, I'd say it is a fairly deep one because it actually really, really goes there with it, especially with how it confronts the Doctor. Like like I said, Mary seems to trigger a lot more development in the Doctor than Evelyn does in this. And it's like, the way Mary is written is fascinating because she is one of the most notorious figures in the whole history of the British Isles, but then going the obvious route and just making her the villain, it, um... It makes her a person, and like the doctor, when he's talking to her, he goes, he admits that she wasn't what he was expecting, and I'm, I'm kind of sitting like, doctor, you've been living with humans for centuries. I think you might have realized before now that people can be complicated, but honestly, given the OTT villains the doctor usually <laughs> fights, it, it's not a bad point to make if you look at it in the wider context of the franchise, like. It's it's a Mary. She comes across as an understanding and thoughtful person who just so happens to think that burning people on mass is the correct thing to yes. do. It's um it, it's kind of like Jacqueline Pierce in the Fearmonger, but this is um I don't know if it's more sympathetic, but it is more empathetic to Mary than the Fearmonger was to Sherilyn. Uh, it seemed like a bit of a double standard, but I think an important thing to remember is like tone and more importantly relevance like this is very much a character piece more so than the fearmonger was which was more of a political drama but it's like harper was meant to be an embodiment of fascism mary is a real historical figure and the views that she represented don't really have the baggage that they used to i mean maybe in northern ireland uh but so in that sense i think having her be a bit more of a rounded like figure it, it works and like this is also unlike the fearmonger there are no grifters in this everyone in this genuinely believes what they claim to stand for and they act accordingly I, it's funny that you bring up the fearmonger i do agree that it's it's a different piece than the fearmonger was and also just there's a big difference in you know time periods and relevance to now um in general i haven't like, watched or read a whole lot of, like, historical fiction set during the Tudor period. But I do know, from what I've heard, that you can oftentimes get different stories, and they'll kind of treat different characters as the good guys or the bad guys, just by downplaying or upplaying certain things that they did historically. So, it's uncomfortable to an extent, because, like, it's pretty horrific that this woman did this stuff, but it... I'm not gonna hold it against it or say that it's bad and i think that it's interesting too just because of the character uh the character realizations it brings for the doctor in this really yeah like there's a moment um 
between the doctor and Sarah, who's like, I mean, she's like the queen's lady in waiting, and actually more important than you might think, uh, he lists off like all the things that he's responsible for, and he asks us, like, do good intentions, like, mean? Like, I did all these things, and I always felt I was doing the right thing. And she goes, if that were true, Doctor, I would say, may God have mercy on your soul. But then she follows it up with, like, but I do trust and pray that he will. So it's like a, uh, it feels a bit harsh, but then she's, like, somewhat trying to be kind. Now, I actually do have issues with this moment, because... I do, I do like it in theory. It's, it's questioning the Doctor's outlook, and it's not going to provide easy answers. Like, this is the shit I'm here for. Like, Boomtown. Boomtown was all about that, and Boomtown is great. You ask questions about the Doctor's role in things, and you're not interested in giving a satisfactory resolution to any of them. Um, I do sometimes worry that... It's like if you watch Lindsay Ellis's videos on Game of Thrones, it's good intentions do not matter. If you believe in anything too strongly, then bad things will happen. I mean, I don't think that is actually what it ends up conveying, and so it doesn't really lower my opinion. But at the end, when the Doctor's talking about Mira, it's like, she wasn't a bad person. She was kind and thoughtful to those who knew her. And I'm just sitting here like, I mean... You, she probably was kind of thoughtful to those who knew her, but they weren't the people that she had burned at the stake. So that, I'm not sure that really matters. And like, this does like portray the Protestants as like willing to kill on their own side. And they did. Like, like, but Evelyn like kind of cuts it. It's like, like, even if that's true, like she was a fanatic and people like that should not be let near power. So like, when you're saying that Mary isn't a bad person, I feel like, it feels like kind of a definitive statement. I feel like a real question to ask here is like, is there even any such thing as good and bad people? And I feel like I'm kind of projecting my own moral conflicts onto the story with that, which I have been thinking about a lot lately, but... um, fine. I mean, I think it's fine if you do. I do think... I, I have to admit that re-listening to this, I found it a bit weird that the Sixth Doctor was kind of so kind and thoughtful to, to Mary in that way. Like, But it led to some interesting questions, and I can forgive it. And like you said, it is a character piece. Uh, and I also want to talk about, just on like a broader structural level, the scenes where he's interacting with people at court are kind of brilliant too, just because, like you said, Whispers of Terror is kind of like a weird one-off for the Sixth Doctor on audio. And one of the great things about forcing the Sixth Doctor to interact with royalty and people who have so much power uh, over him and who he's not just outright fighting is that he actually has to be nicer. <laughs> and the script just as such kind of forces him to have to be more thoughtful and softer as a result, which is mwah, so good. Mm, yeah. I feel like, um, oh yeah, there was more I wanted to talk about with the whole The Doctor's conflict in this. Like, when The Doctor lists the stuff that he's done, he says things like, I have caused peaceful races to take up arms. And I think that's a reference to the Thals in the first ever Dalek serial, but I feel like you're omitting the fact that they were about to be subject to a genocide and taking up arms was really their only option. And then it's, I once destroyed an entire race, which... Oh, sorry, I burped. Uh, I think that's the Vervoids. Uh, but it's, again, they were about to commit a genocide. 
Like, they were, and probably, and they were fully prepared to do more after that. Like, the whole thing was exterminate all animal life. <laughs> but uh, then he says, and I actually found this is interesting because it got a call back later. It was, I have led friends to their deaths. But th- that makes it sound like you did it intentionally. But then after that, he goes like, well, I caused their deaths. I like to think that's not the same thing. I think it's like talking about companions like Adric or Katarina. As like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does. Like, I know we like to joke that he doesn't, but he, but let's face it, he does. But now, when I was interesting all this, I was kind of like annoyed at this because, like, Doctor, I feel like you're leaving out a lot of important context about why you did these things here. But then I kind of took a seat. I was like, oh yeah, the the reason the Doctor's saying all this is because he feels guilty about it, even. If I can make a pretty good argument that his actions were justified, it doesn't really matter because, like, he's just like it's personal guilt. It's not the actual morality of his actions. And now this kind of hand wringing, it is very unusual for like the Sixth Doctor. Hell, it was unusual in the classic series. Full stop. The only real moment that came close was like that famous have i the right moment from genesis of the daleks which i honestly i personally kind of hate that moment like i feel it's it just it is just so hollow but it's it is the kind of thing that's way more common in the new series and say what you will about the new series it generally has a bigger focus on character than the classic series ever did so in that way this audio feels like it's um leading the charge in some ways I mean, I wouldn't call this audio the very first time something like this has happened. By this point, like, the Virgin New Adventures had already started and I believe ended. So, not really the same. No, I don't think it's the first. I don't think it's the first by any stretch. But I'm just saying, in it feels like, um, it feels very fresh even now, given when it was released. I suppose. And getting back to, like, his sympathy for Mary, I suppose... I mean, it could just be that we're not meant to take his stance that she was a good person who, in some ways, as, like, an absolute truth. It could just be reflective on his own, of his own, like, you know, internal thinking and him seeing a little bit of himself in her as opposed to anything else. Oh, yeah, he definitely sees himself in her to an extent. Like, you can debate whether or not he's right to do that, but I do think seeing yourself in other people even people you don't actually like is pretty common it's like an oh no am i like this person to some extent it was just like he like he has this great exchange with mary it's when they're talking about what she plans to do he just says i'm a doctor i can't approve of taking life and she goes yes i see in your eyes that you understand me and just and he just says i think i understand you more than you realize and like the last scene with Mary is, is like you know how the last scene with Sherilyn in the Fear Monger is her just like giving into despair, like going Doctor, where are you? And just not flatly denying responsibility for everything that's happened. Yeah, the last scene with Mary in this also has her on her own. Like she's asked where the Doctor is, and it's like he's not there, and it's like she's just saying, "Well, thank God for giving me this child," and it's like. But she doesn't have a child. She is not pregnant. She's like, she's kind of comes across as this incredibly sad figure comforting herself with delusions of a future that she just does not have. It's, yeah, it's, 
it's a lot less um harsh than uh Sherilyn's ending but it's like it it feels it, it's a lot more i think it's going more for poignancy than anything else yes for sure i mean mm. for sure uh i'm trying to think i mean that's kind of the sixth doctor side of things we want to talk about evelyn's evelyn's is not as intense but it's quite fun i think for the most part there's one scene i don't particularly like after they split up which is the scene where she makes hot cocoa with the uh what, what do we call them with the like plotters against the crown uh the the twink from the sarah jane adventures the other guy who seems to enjoy public executions and the priest played by nicholas pegg who is kind of a dick and also turns out to be evelyn's ancestor and a <laughs> it, it's 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 pretty serious when you find it out, but afterwards she's like, oh god, I descended from this guy? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's great. But yeah, uh, Evelyn's thing is that uh, when the Doctor goes to court, she kind of insists that she's not going to stick around in the TARDIS, so she goes to have a drink uh, at like a pub. Uh, she accidentally has a toast to Queen Elizabeth, and of course this is during Queen because Mary's time. Because the Doctor was trying to take them back to the reign of Queen Elizabeth, but over, but being the Doctor, he managed to get them with Queen Mary. Yes. Anyways, <laughs> uh, she ends up being dragged outside, and it turns out that the guys who have dragged her out are um, Protestants who are, yeah, are against the throne, and they're plotting something, and she kind of, for a bit, gets involved in their plot. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's very fun. Just to, uh, and she also gets a lot of moments just to shine on her own. She's made very clear that she can hold hold her own, which is important. I think. Like I said, there's a scene too where um, she just kind of stops and she makes hot chocolate because she brought it with her because she really loves chocolate, which eh, didn't sit too well with me. I don't know. I've listened to this several times, and every time that scene comes up, it just feels like it's trying a little too hard to be cute and endearing, and it's just... It just feels awkward. <laughs> I like that scene. It's like, yes, Evelyn, I'm the kind of person who will, like, brew hot chocolate in, in 16th century London because I can. <laughs> I mean, okay, I suppose in that regard, yeah, it's it's charming. I think that I... I find it a little twee, kind of how the characters around her react. Where at first they're like they're like a little weirded out, but then they're like, "Oh no, this is great!" And or one of them's like, "It's great." Well, the one guy who hates yeah. it because it's too sweet. Right, that this is a children's drink. Yes, <laughs> that part was a bit. I, for a long time, I should I should say that my uh, I have kind of a history, quote unquote, with Evelyn, in that I listened to. Two of her stories forever ago, which was this one and then the next one. She didn't really click with me. And then for whatever reason, I decided to give her another try last year. And I ended up listening to basically every story she's done for the first 100 releases, at least. But it took a couple releases for her to really grow on me, I should say. And for a while before that, for years, like my impression of her was just this vaguely grandmotherly figure. I think partially just because she's me in her 50s which isn't really fair on my part and also just because of this one scene which is also again not fair on my part well i think a thing about this one scene although it does provoke the hilarious line no man could enjoy something so sweet but uh, uh it actually does have a plot purpose well it has two functions really one is to add character namely we're emphasizing that Evelyn loves herself some chocolate but also it means that she's going through her handbag, which is when she get, also brings out some pills, and she's like to the others, yeah, you probably don't want to have those. 
like they're medicinal but then they think that that means that it's poisonous so that provokes this whole little subplot where the asshole priest tries to frame evelyn for attempting to assassinate mary with poison and he does this with french barnaby edwards and it backfires spectacularly when the doctor's like yeah this is just aspirin here i'm gonna have some let's all have some it'll make us all feel better (laughs) this may be a little hypocritical but despite me saying that I found the hot chocolate scene very twee. I found the scene where Queen Mary is given aspirin and she starts talking about how great she feels. I found that absolutely hilarious. <laughs> yeah. No, fun little fact. There's a tortured audio where aliens get high off aspirin. <laughs> and they were furious when they found out it's a commonly available human drug and their dealers had been ripping them off. That's amazing. You could do like just like a compilation of every moment where she's amazing in this. I can't believe it took me this long. It took me like a while for her to really grow on me because she is so good in this. The stuff towards the end of episode four, when they're locked in the tower, it, it suddenly becomes a bit more traditional Doctor Who, and it kind of shows that she can, I guess, quote unquote, work in these kinds of situations. They get locked up, and then she pretends to be sick, so to lure the doctor to lure the garden and forces the doctor to hit him over the head with a chair. Yeah, it's entirely her idea, and because the doctor she suggested, and the doctor's like, "No, we're not using violence," and then. She just goes ahead and does it anyways. <laughs> uh, Work, bitch. Yes. And also in the last episode, I thought that there's another interesting bit in the last episode, which is where she insists on saving the two guys, uh, the Twink and the other guy who doesn't like hot the... chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Now that is... In, I actually made a note about that one. Now, um, the Sixth Doctor and Evelyn, in a lot of ways, they're kind of like the Tenth Doctor and Donna, Like, not as individuals, like, they all have pretty different personalities, but both the Tenth Doctor and the Sixth Doctor kind of have huge egos. And with Evelyn and Donna, they're paired up with someone who's pretty headstrong, who isn't gonna take any of that shit. (laughs) So, like, it kind of, like, it's like they have this, like, this best friend who's just gonna bring them down a bit. That's, uh, it's sweet. And so... And one of the first beats that Donna has is in the fires of Pompeii, where she is like, don't, okay, don't save the whole town, but please just save someone. And this is basically Evelyn doing the same thing here. She's like, yes, I can't stop all the people who are going to be burned at the stake, but please, can we just save these people? Well, can we? I mean, she... Well, she actually tricks him into doing it by pretending that she has a headache, but even so... I'm pretty sure the um, sixth doctor was pretty suspicious about that headache. Yeah. But still, yeah, she she kind of forces his hand. Yeah, 100%. And, and yeah, there's and that moment where she talks about how horrible it is and how she can't save everyone and she knows that. I mean, I don't want to get into spoilers for um, stuff that happens with her later, but that certainly felt like foreshadowing of source even if it wasn't intentional and it certainly shows just the kind of person she is so yeah mm, yes now um i think we've been talking a lot about all the character work in this and i feel like we've basically compl- we've completely skipped over the plot more or less i mean yeah i guess we've said the premise like the premise is then going back in time to find out why evelyn seems to be vanishing from history but the actual plot concerns these people who are plotting to assassinate queen mary and how they do it and the the big twist of this is that mary's lady in waiting is married to the asshole nicholas peg priest dude and this is actually 
it's actually better set up than you might think. Like he has this offhand line in episode two. It's like if I was if I listened to head to the wailings of women, I'd go home to my wife. It's like you have a wife. And wait, so there's a Reverend Thomas Smith and there's a Lady Sarah Whiteside. And it's like, and we're looking for a, and Evelyn's ancestor was a dude called John Whiteside Smith. Tell me, Sarah, you wouldn't happen to be pregnant, would you? (laughs) Yes. Although there is a brief moment where Evelyn suggests that it could actually be the doctor after Mary suggests marrying the doctor to Sarah. That was hilarious. hilarious. She clearly didn't believe it, but she thought it was funny. Like I think she did believe it, like for a hot moment. Maybe for a hot moment, but I think that I mean she then says later, like, oh, I could never be be related to someone like you. (laughs) I think it was like as the line is like, I can't believe that I don't have been descended from a pompous priest and some weak willed little slip of a girl and like weak willed male dependent slip of a girl. And it's like, but still, what? At least it wasn't me. Yeah, but um, so yeah, that's like the main thrust of the plot, and I feel like I've talked about, I kind of touched on the supporting characters and how they're all very sincere with what they believe. I don't think I've talked about their own little moments, just like talked about the Doctor as Mary and um, Evelyn's moments. I mean, we haven't even gotten to but all they of do... Evelyn's moments, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, they do have some great parts. I mentioned early on Evelyn has this culture shock of, Oh yeah, the Protestants weren't exactly averse to burning Catholics at the stake, were they? But um, so when the guy who doesn't like hot shot, but he's like, well maybe we'll be martyrs, and uh, the twinkle from the Sarah Jane Adventures, he, um, I mean, no, from the not the Sarah Jane Adventures, you know what I mean? Uh, he's like, no, we won't be. You said it yourself. Executions a good day out. They'll just they'll take the kids on, and they won't think of us ever again. <laughs> like. So yeah, martyred. So they are to an extent challenged in their views, I think. And also, there's a fascinating moment, little trend I noticed. Um, I mentioned after the Doctor like lists what he believes to be his misdeeds to Sarah. She goes, "May God have mercy on your soul." Now that's a line that crops up a couple of other times. The next time it crops up is um. Wh- is when Mary says it to Sarah, funnily enough, when she finds out that uh, Sarah has um, been tricked into poisoning her. She's like, may God have mercy on your soul. And then later when she's like, tries to persuade uh, Thomas to recant, it's like, um, he goes, no, it is not your faith that is uh, that is the true religion. It is mine. And as he like gets dragged off, he just goes, "May God have mercy on your soul." It's so it's like yeah, the way that line turns up each time a character says it. They later on they end up having it addressed to them. Like it's it's kind of like this fascinating little cycle Sarah says it to the doctor then Mary says it to Sarah then Thomas says it to Mary and the way it's used is like both as like an act of condemnation yet also as an act of genuine hope sometimes it's I I love it so much yes this is just a beautifully well put together piece of drama I have to say Mm. Uh, I mean more so than the fearmonger which was still very much like an action adventure story this is a drama I'd say 
Yeah, like even the climax, like the climax isn't a bunch, isn't like an exploding volcano or a riotous mob or anything. The climax is a bunch of people talking about what might happen and then hashing it out, pretty much. That's it's like I said, this is a character piece. It's a fairly easy to listen to character piece, even if it does have some pretty serious and mature subject matter. Right, right. It's, it's brilliant. So, mm. hmm, trying to think, what else is there to say? I mean, we could keep just listing more moments where Evelyn Smythe is awesome. I mean, there when she walks into the TARDIS, she has one of the best reactions out of any companion. <laughs> she's what, just what, like, what was her reaction again? <laughs> well, she's just like, oh, this is your time what machine. And then the Doctor's like, he's waiting for her to say, oh, it's bigger on the inside. And she was like, oh, yeah, I noticed. I just thought there would be more computer banks. <laughs> she's just very, I mean, not the most amazing moment, but it's just funny. To me, at least. Yeah. Uh, also, when they're locked up in the Tower of London, she's <laughs> like, it's so nice to be here without a load of historically ignorant tourists making jokes about the size of the king's balls. Yes. <laughs> yeah, remember how I said that Jacqueline Rayner like, wrote the whole first season of Bernie Summerfield? Yeah, the whole, the king's balls get bigger every year. Like, that's an Oh No It Isn't. So that's a clear reference to that audio. Oh, yes. I should re-listen to Oh No It Isn't. I've listened to it once, and it's it's so good. Go listen to Oh No It Isn't, as an aside. It's available for download now, so you really have no excuse anymore. Yeah, just, just go for it. It's not what we're talking about. It's not what we're talking about, but it is brilliant. <laughs> As Jacqueline Rayner, it has a joke about the size of the king's ball, so it is relevant to this. Yes. Very loosely. <laughs> so yeah, uh, is that it? Are we done? Oh, one last thing I want to mention. Uh, this is uh, this is kind of minor, but one thing that we talked about in The Sirens of Time and Phantasmagoria was about the lack of female characters, and it's been a constant issue through the, through the range since, and we just haven't really talked about it because, like, We've had so much else to talk about. I think this is the first release since Sirens, which has had more than two female characters, including a companion. It's like, yeah, even the Fearmonger only had really like one notable female guest cast member. That was Jacqueline Pierce. And like, yeah, Land of the Dead, it was interior designer lady. Whispers of Terror, it was Lisa Bowerman as Judith Collins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, so that's quite nice. We've got so three yeah, in we've this. Got, um, yeah, we've got, e- well, Evelyn is, like, not a guest character, so uh, she's a regular. I'm counting her nonetheless. Yeah, but yeah, we've got Miri and Lady Sarah. Also, this is the first main range big finish to be written by a woman. Yes. There are, actually, uh, there are frustratingly few of those. Yes, wow. Sad that. <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel like an early big finish. They had, like, one woman writer, and it was Jacqueline Rayner. And, like, Jacqueline Rayner is brilliant, but I do feel like that's placing a bit of an unfair burden. I mean, at least she's up to the task. She's a great writer, so... Oh, she is more than up to task. She's still up to the task. Like, her stuff that just came out last year was also great. Yeah, I was looking at her TARDIS wiki page just a moment ago, and... Yeah, she's still... She's still chugging along. So, yeah, the Mary Conspiracy. It's great. It's a great hopping on point for the main range, specifically for the Sixth Doctor. Go get it. It's very cheap. It is very, very good. It is easy to listen to. It's great. Yeah, I have my, I've had my niggles with it, which I've said, but I don't think they in any way undercut my enjoyment of it because it is just that good. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this and the Fearmonger, two of the best releases so far, and we got them back to back. 
the next two are less good. <laughs> but let's not get down. Please go get this. <laughs> If you haven't got it already. I, I mean, I don't even have anything to add to that. Just go listen to this. If you've listened this far and you haven't listened to it, shame on you because we just spoiled it. Go listen to it now. <laughs> Please. Please. Next time, the genocide machine. Wow. Melodramatic. <laughs> I wish. I mean, the Sorry, title. That... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I... it's fine I... that we say that. Yeah, bye. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Race Who. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Or, excuse me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I Whenever I'm like involved with the podcast when I'm not editing, I'm just looking at our Twitter feed, so I'm, I just kind of associate the name with the Twitter handle. If you want to find us, our Twitter handle is Race Who. My Twitter handle is at dmanady, at d-m-a-n-a-d-u-l-y. Carrick's is at Carrick of the Ord. I'm thinking of get, setting up like an email or something where people can send us longer thoughts. Because it'd be nice to hear from people. I know that we're, we've got a few listeners, and some of them are consistent, and I'd love to hear from them. Uh, yeah. I hear you, I hear, you'll be hearing us again in about two weeks. Thank you.